Good morning. My privilege this morning to preach to you amongst this tropical jungle. So if I slip and fall, you'll know why. <laughs> I, what I need is a donkey to navigate it, and then I'd be all set. Let's begin this morning with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that you decided to come to this earth, to come here to rescue us, to make us your people, your children, and to be our king. We worship you this morning, even as the people of Jerusalem worshiped Jesus as he rode a donkey into the city. We worship you because you are a great king and our Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us this morning from your text and from your truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Start this morning with a question. What would you do if you knew you only had five days left to live? Now, in my younger days, this was not a question that I asked very often. When I used to be a person who thought 40 was really old, this was not a question that I really do. But as I get older, and I've reached that in terribly old age of 40, and maybe a little bit beyond, start asking the question about death. What would you do if you knew you had only five days left to live? For some of us, we would look back at our life and maybe see some good things, but see some things that are regrets. We start saying the words, I wish, a lot. I wish I had done things differently. I wish I could take back some of the things that I said or that I did. I wish that I had lived my life in a different way. This is a question that I think Jesus had to have been asking in the chapter of Matthew that was read, read for us this morning. When Jesus was entering Jerusalem and getting this welcome, he knew that he only had five days left, that on Friday he was going to die. He was going to die a horrible death. He was going to be tortured and rejected, humiliated, whipped, and then crucified. In just five days, that was in front of him. You kind of expect, if it were me, you kind of expect Jesus to prepare for this ordeal kind of quietly, reverently, with prayer, spending time with his disciples who have been his friends for his last three years. That's the way that you would normally think of a person coming to a trial like that. But what did Jesus actually do? He arranged, he deliberately arranged a celebratory parade, a victory. He deliberately entered the city of Jerusalem as king and was proclaimed by the crowds, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then in John it says, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Here's a man who's going to die in five days. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be crucified. And the people just see the greatness of Jesus. And they praise him for it. And they say, Hosanna. But this really isn't the Jesus that we know in the gospel. This doesn't really make sense. Jesus, up till this time, had visited Jerusalem a few times, a number of times. We're not quite sure how many. But each time he visited Jerusalem in the past, he kind of snuck in. Nobody knew that he was coming in. There was no great fanfare. There were no crowds. He came quietly. But even more so, up until this time, there were times when people wanted to proclaim him as king. They wanted to make him king. And he avoided that like the plague. So in John 6, 15, after Jesus fed 5,000 people and they had bread and fish left over, this is what it says. Jesus, knowing that they, the people, intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This has been his pattern up till now. He never has talked about himself as a king. He's talked about the kingdom of heaven, but he's never said, I am the king, or I am this king. That was the people who made him king. So why is it that he has changed? What is it that was going on here? Why Palm Sunday at all? And if you look at Peter, this is Peter after Jesus says to him that you are now going to be called the rock. You're now Cephas. And on this rock, I'm going to build the church. And then Jesus says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And what's Peter's response? Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Now that he's the rock, he can do this. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And if you look at the chapter of Matthew just before Jesus enters Jerusalem, Jesus again tells his disciples that I'm going up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over to the chief priest, and I'm going to be killed. That wasn't what the people wanted, and that wasn't what Peter wanted. They wanted Jesus to become a king. And so this move by Jesus to actually ride into Jerusalem on this donkey and to be proclaimed a king by all the people must have seemed like Peter was right. This shall never happen. There is no way, even though Jesus says it's going to happen, there's no way that this crowd that's saying, Hosanna today is anytime soon going to up and kill Jesus. There's just no way that's going to happen. And in fact, this is the fulfillment of all of the disciples' dreams and all of the people's dreams, that the Messiah would come 
and that he would be king and that he would take care of the Roman occupation, that he would take over the religious leaders, the Jewish faith, the temple, and that he would lead them and that he would be an honest, righteous king. But five days later, Jesus was tortured and whipped and crucified and died. Shattering to the disciples. What happened to Palm Sunday? What was the point of Jesus even doing this? Where were those hosannas just meaningless? Were those people just duped? Was it just a big tease? No. Because you see, I think we need to understand that Jesus was really not interested in just being a king. I, wanted to, I want to make a distinction this morning between the kind of king that the people wanted and the kind of king that Jesus is. But Jesus wasn't interested in just being a king. The people on Palm Sunday, they thought they were going to make Jesus king. The disciples on Palm Sunday, they thought we're going to make Jesus king. We're not going to hear anything about Jesus dying. We want a king, and Jesus is going to be that king. And on Friday, interestingly enough, the religious leaders thought that they had finally destroyed Jesus as a king. They were both wrong. The people weren't there to make Jesus a king, and the religious leaders had no power to actually destroy his being a king. The purpose of Palm Sunday is to realize that we neither have the power to make Jesus king or have the power to prevent Jesus from being king. Purpose is to realize that Jesus is the king. He is not king because we made him. He's not king because we say Hosanna in the highest. He's not king because we sing praises to him this morning. He is not king because we, the people, say he's the king. It's not an election. He is king because he is the king. The disciples were devastated on Friday because they didn't understand. On Palm Sunday, Jesus was going to take something horrible and make it beautiful. I was reading the other day about a woman in Australia, and her husband happens to be a talk show host. And she's receiving tweets um, all the time that are really hateful tweets. They are really um, accusative of her husband and of herself. And they're just really nasty things. And it was destroying her. And she made a decision, a really good decision, that she decided that every time she re received a hateful tweet, she was going to donate some money to a charity that was helping disadvantaged children. So that for every hateful tweet, something good actually happened out of that. That's actually what Palm Sunday is all about. 
we're actually looking forward to Jesus Christ the King getting crucified, dead, and buried. But it isn't a terrible thing because Jesus is going to make it something beautiful. He's going to take something that was terrible and he is going to make it into something that is wonderful. And even though he had told his disciples over and over again that this was going to happen, they just didn't understand. They didn't want to understand. That's the problem. It wasn't that cognitively, I don't get it. It's, I don't really want this to happen. This is not something that I'm looking to. This is not the direction that I want the church in. Because they wanted to make Jesus a king, and they didn't understand that Jesus is the king. He is the king whether we make him that or not. Now the other interesting thing about Palm Sunday is that it's backwards. Now we in New England are used to celebratory parades. They're happening all the time now. We've got this down, okay? So when a sports team is victorious, we roll out the duck boats and we have a parade down the streets of Boston. But there's a key to that. When you are victorious, you have the parade. How is it that Palm Sunday comes before the victory? There's something wrong about this. Palm Sunday happens a week before he is raised from the dead. The duck boat parade, so to speak, should be after Jesus rises from the dead, shouldn't it? That's when it all happens. That's when the victory happens. But that's not actually the way that it, that it works. The disciples didn't quite understand this because Jesus was the king on Palm Sunday even before he died and was raised from the dead. And that's what's so important for us to realize. And the disciples didn't understand this until later. In fact, it actually says in the description of, of this event in John that the disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things, and these things had been done to him. They realized it afterwards. They finally figured it out. And they finally figured it out because somebody was reading the little book in the Old Testament that nobody reads called Zechariah. It's just before Malachi. That's the one you don't read also. Two little books that you don't read in the Old Testament. Somebody read them. And somebody went, oh my gosh, look at that. Look at that. It's right there. And so the writer of Matthew and the writer of John, afterwards they say, you know, we should have figured this out because it's right there in Zechariah, and that's the book that we always go to to read, but it's right there. And I want us to look at Zechariah because they point it out. Here it is. Jesus is already king. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, 
and the battle bow will be broken. And he, the king, will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is king. And it was proclaimed in Zechariah. It was proclaimed in Isaiah. It was proclaimed in Jeremiah. It was right there in front of them. But the king that Jesus is, not the king that we make him, but the king that Jesus is, is different than the king that we oftentimes think that he is. We look at this passage. Jesus is the king. And in this passage, it actually pairs three things. Well, it actually puts the three together. I'm going to pair them into two. The three things it puts together is righteous, victorious, and lowly as descriptions of a king. Now for us, probably the only one of those words that we would put with a king is victorious. But first I want to look at righteous and victorious. This is the king. In the Old Testament, righteous and king were paired together with another word, not victorious. It was paired together with the word justice. Because a king is someone who comes to judge. A king judges his people. And what you want in a judge is someone who is trustworthy, who is righteous, who is pure, who is going to make good decisions. So in the Old Testament, when you pair together righteous with king, it's righteous and justice. And we'll see that. It's in various places, but if we look um, going forward. So he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That's the way the Old Testament describes righteous and king, justice. Well, oddly enough, it's not in this passage. Righteousness, righteousness is paired with victory. Jesus is righteous, but not just to be our judge. He is righteous in order to be victorious. That's a new concept. It's not expected. The victory that was expected was not one that righteousness has a lot to do with. Here's the victory here. So your king comes to you righteous and victorious, and then down in verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, the battle bow, and the battle bow will be broken. And the king will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Victory in the idea of our way of looking at a king is one that's done with power and it's done with might. In order to have victory, what do you need? You need chariots, you need war horses, you need bows. This king is going to be righteous and the first thing he's going to do, he's going to take away the chariots from Ephraim. Ephraim is a tribe of Israel, so it's it's a way of saying, taking away the chariots from Israel, and I'm going to take away the war horses from Jerusalem, and while I'm at it, I'm going to break all the bows. So you're not going to have any way to be victorious, except 
by the righteousness of the king. That's not what the people in Jerusalem were expecting. They were expecting a king to overthrow the rule of Rome. Not a king to get rid of all of our strength, all of our power, all of our security. That was not the king. That was not what they were trying to do. The victory was going to become or come through the fact that this king was righteous. And I think you know where it's going. The righteousness of Jesus that made him a lamb, a sacrificial lamb that could be killed or slain for the sins of all people. The victory was not to be won with a horse, not to be won with a bow, not to be won with a gun, not to be won with any kind of military strength. The victory was going to be won through the sacrifice of a perfect lamb. And that's what Isaiah says. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus Christ was victorious as a king because he was righteous, because he came to our earth to die for us. He was not victorious because we made him a king. He was a king when he came here. But there's another thing that's paired with this idea of victorious, and that is victorious and lowly and humble. That doesn't make any sense. We all know that who kings are. Kings are powerful. They are mighty. And we sing about Jesus being a powerful, mighty king. But even rulers and kings who are here on earth, that's their MO. That's what they are. It's all about power. It's all about might. It's all about exercising that power and might. How is it that we put victorious together with lowly and with humble? How does that actually work together? Well, Jesus is the king. And I'm not saying that he's lowly and that means that he's not powerful and that he's not mighty. What the Bible is telling us is Jesus is powerful and mighty and lowly. How does that work? How can you be lowly and humble and be powerful and mighty? Do that as you serve people. There are some people who see this idea of being humble as somehow being weak, as somehow being wimpy. A person who's humble is a person that's easily defeated. It is just weak and it is wimpy. But if you think about it, people who have learned to walk in humility are some of the most powerful people there are because they stand up for the truth. And Jesus Christ is powerful and mighty because he was humble enough to die on the cross, a terrible death for us, so that our sins can be forgiven. And we have victory because of his humility, because he didn't need to do it.
as a king, he had no obligation to do it. He did it to serve us in a lowly way. It says here that he comes in lowly and riding on a donkey, but he's still righteous and he's victorious. And then if you look at the chapter in Matthew just before this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus talks to his disciples about this idea of being humble. He says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's what kings do. That's what high officials do. That's the reason why you become a king. You want to be able to lord it over somebody. Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was a king, but he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And we who claim Jesus as our king need to be people who are willing to follow him in righteousness and humility. And this is a theme throughout this week. We talk about Monday, Thursday. Palm Sunday sets up Monday, Thursday. It sets up Good Friday. It sets up Easter. But on that Last Supper, what does Jesus actually do? After they eat, he goes and he washes his disciples' feet. He's the king, not a king. He's the king. But he is willing to serve those he rules. He's willing to wash their feet. He's willing to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was not just a king. He's not just a Jewish person in the long line of human kings that lived, ruled, did some good, did some bad, died, next king. Jesus was the king. And he was the king before Palm Sunday even happened. And he was the king even if he walked and he rode on that donkey into Jerusalem and nobody said anything. He was still the king. Because he does not need human beings to anoint him as king. He is king because it is God who anointed him. God who proclaimed him king. He was king already. He was a king who came to save his people from the greatest enemies that humanity could ever know. Our own sin, our own depravity, death, God's wrath and judgment. He is a king before he came to the earth. He is a king while he is on the earth. He is a king after the death and resurrection. 
and he is king today. We didn't make him king because we sing his praises. He was king whether we sing his praises or not. And he is king who came to serve us. And this is why we celebrate. This is why Palm Sunday is cool. This is why as kids I remember getting palms in my church and thinking, I have no idea what this is, but it's kind of cool. I have the palm that I wave around and I put it, and it's cool. It's a celebration. We celebrate Jesus because he is the king. And we sing Hosanna. And that's why we sing Hosanna. And that's why we sing those songs. And that's why it's so exciting. We celebrate Jesus being the king all this week. Whether it's Palm Sunday, whether it's Thursday night at the Last Supper, whether it's Friday when he's crucified, dead and buried, and whether it's Sunday when he rises from the dead. We celebrate it because Jesus Christ is king. He is the king. And as people who believe in the king and worship the king, we need to share in his righteousness. We need to share in his humility as we live our lives. Because Jesus Christ is the king and Jesus Christ is our king. What would you do if you knew you had only five days left to live? I think the right answer is I only have five days left to live. I celebrate that Jesus is our king. If I have 40 years to live, I celebrate that Jesus is our king. If I have 80 years to live, I celebrate that Jesus is our king. It's the same. It doesn't matter how many days you have left. Jesus is our king. Hosanna. He is the king. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, it says in your scriptures that righteous king is like the morning sunset or, the, or sunrise when the brightness of the light shines into the darkness. And you are that bright light. And you are our king. And we celebrate that this morning because of your love and your willingness to suffer for us. Your willingness to serve us. To defeat sin and death. And to make our lives right with you. And to make us children of God. We praise you and we thank you. And we celebrate this morning because you are the King. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.